All right, thank you everyone so much for joining. We're so excited for, here, I'll stand up for a second just so I can see the people in back. We're so excited for this Shabbos, and we're so excited really to start it off because it's all of you. I mean, we're here because of the incredible work that each of you guys are doing, and we are so delighted to have some, some, real, some real words of wisdom that we, can, that we can learn from and that we can hopefully, Amir Hashem, bring with us into the work that we're engaging in every day. So for the next, the next 30 to 40 minutes, we have the pleasure of being joined by Rabbi Mordechai Berg, who will be speaking about his experiences, um, who will be sharing some Divrei Chizuk with us, um, after, after the first, I think we, we said around, you know, 10, 10 minutes or so. Like um, six and a half minutes. After the first six and a half precisely minutes, um, we're going to ask, I'll ask a few questions that people pre-submitted, and then we'll open it up to a general Q&A. So if you guys want to start thinking in your minds of either specific questions or follow-ups while he's speaking, that would be wonderful. And without further ado, we are really so grateful and, and lucky to have you here. So thank you for joining us today. Okay, I didn't even I didn't even come in. <laughs> okay. There are things I, I'll never get used to. I'll never get used to walking into a room and having people stand up. Also, I never get used to walking into a room and people get quiet. It's not like a it's not like a comfortable feeling. You come into a room, you want to be welcomed. You walk in and everyone's like shh. <laughs> There's a beautiful Khadusha Arim in this week's parsha. Very relevant, I think, to the work that all of, all of us are doing. When it comes to Makas Choshech, so the Lashon of the Pasuk is, the Loikamu Ish Mitachtav. So if you look in the art scroll, it's a poor translation. It says that no Jew was able to move. They couldn't move from their place in Makas Choshech. It's not actually what the words say. Velokamu ishmi tachtov means that the darkness was like a weight that was pressing down on us. And we were not able to get out from underneath it, which is a different way of thinking about it. The way that we grew up, I always grew up, maybe you didn't grow up this way, I grew up thinking that the darkness like surrounded us and it was so thick that you couldn't move. I never thought of it as like a weight that was pressing down on a person. Sechidush Arim says very beautifully, Makas Choshech is when one Jew can't see another Jew. What does that mean? It's very easy to judge a person by their actions and to say, this is who you are. And that's the trap. The trap is that we look at each other and say, she did this and he did this, and then we typecast people. We put them in boxes. We say, this is the type of Jew that you are. And it's not true. A yid is a yid. The Gemara makes it clear. There is nothing that any of us in this room could do to change who we are. But there are people that wreak havoc on the world because they come with a tsaras ayin, they come with a, a negative worldview, and they tell people who they are. They get called into offices, you did this and you did that, and they know, they know the way they're really seen. And it hurts. Probably nobody in this room ever had that. But if you ever had, if, you have, if you've ever been in a situation where you know that somebody looks at you and they just, they don't think well of you, do you know how painful that is? And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if I know that this is what you really think of me, then that's probably what I'm going to become. If you listen carefully to the, to the pain, that unfortunately still, even though we've gotten so much better, if you listen carefully to the pain that so many teenagers are expressing today, I had the opportunity this summer to speak with a couple of young men not in an NCSY program, from a different camp, when they were in Eretz Yisrael. And the boys were saying how they, they hate their high school experience. And I asked them why. And they said, because they hate us. And they're right, they're right. When you know that you're hated, when you know it's like the school doesn't really want you to be there, it hurts. 
It's a, it's a, it's a makas choyshech, says the Kiddush Arim. Like, you can't see that kid for who he really is. Because that's not who they really are, right? They're really good, and they're just behaving in a particular way for a particular reason that we know nothing about. I was uh, expelled from elementary school in fifth grade. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> Everyone always asks, what could you have possibly done in fifth grade to get expelled? It doesn't matter. I never answer the question. And I have no tainas on the school for expelling me. I have one taina, and it's not their fault. It was the 80s, nobody thought this way back then. But nobody, in all the years that I was in that elementary school, nobody asked me why I was behaving that way. What was driving that behavior? And I want you to know that even as a fourth grader, I understood why I was behaving the way I was behaving. But nobody asked. And if they would have, maybe I wouldn't have exactly had the emotional language to be able to articulate it. But if they would have asked, I would have been able to tell them. I remember even knowing it. I remember sitting in the principal's office, looking at him going, you have no idea who I am. And so when they expelled me, I, I, the only taina I've ever had is, why didn't you ask? Why weren't you curious? Chidush Arim says that very often the reason we're not curious about other people is because the inner critic that we have about ourselves becomes the lens through which we see the world. It's not the pshat that we're negative about these kids. We're negative about ourselves. And then it becomes the lens through which we see these kids. The inner critic that we have has to be carefully guarded. There's nothing wrong with a person feeling regret. There's nothing wrong with a person feeling a healthy sense of guilt. Rabbi uh, Abraham Tversky of Hashalom said, healthy guilt is like the bumps on the side of the highway. It just reminds you you're, you're drifting off a little bit. But what we feel very often is a deep sense of shame. Shame is... I am unworthy of love and connection because of what I've done. And the problem is that when we see ourselves in that light, so we very often give that over to others. And so when we see one of our NCSYers doing something that they shouldn't be doing, we get annoyed, we get frustrated, perhaps in a moment of weakness we could lash out, rather than being curious, what's going on? Why is that person behaving that way? How is it helping them? How is it protecting them? It's our own negativity that we're shoving on to the rest of the world. This says the Chidush Arim is Makas Choshech. V'lo kamu ishmi tachtav. We were being crushed under the burden of our own negativity. The darkness that we were experiencing was our own negativity. And it was crushing us, so it didn't allow us to see our friends. It didn't allow us to see each other for who we truly are. The obligation of every NCSY advisor, the obligation of every Rebbe, of every teacher, of every Mechanechet, of every Rakezet, of every single role model, is to love our NCSYers into being. That's the gift we can give them. There are voices in our lives that are stronger and voices in our lives that are weaker. There's no doubt that the voice of a parent is a very powerful voice. The voice of a Rebbe, a teacher, is a very powerful voice. Do not underestimate the power of the voice of an NCSY advisor. You have no idea how much you mean to those NCSYers. You think you know, you have no idea how much you mean. What you're doing is exceptional. And you'll know, you're young still, in 20 and 30 years from now, you'll hear, that was my NCSY advisor. I remember when we had that conversation. I remember when you treated me gently with kindness and compassion, and you gave me a voice to be able to hold myself when I didn't know how to hold myself. There's a boy in the Vasara today, his name is Tani Englander. Tani Englander's father, Adam Englander, Rabbi Adam Englander, is the head of school of Halb Elementary School. His father was my NCSY advisor. So he gets such a kick out of it. He always says, my son is learning by my NCSY. And it's funny, it is funny. It's like, I was his age, you know, when I was hanging out with Adam back in the day. But I want you to know that for the last however many years, well before I met Tani Englander, there's such a warm space in my heart for Adam Englander. Because he was one of those guys in a very hard, it's hard, do you remember it's hard being a teenager? Do you remember? You're not so old yet. Sorry, who wants to be a teenager? 
Only teenagers want to be teenagers. Then as soon as they're done, they go, that was terrible. <laughs> you remember how hard it was? Not sure if you fit in, to not fit in, to, to be with a different friend group every other day, to not sure what your hashkafa was, to be bouncing back and forth. It's a very hard time in a person's life. To have a voice of stability, a voice of kindness, a voice of compassion is what gives us the strength in life to be successful. You're that voice. So, that's a huge responsibility. It's not something to be taken lightly. It means that the words that come out of your mouth have the capacity to build someone or chas v'shalom to destroy them. That words that are said in anger in a moment of frustration, while understandable, have the capacity to do a devastating amount of, imp- of negative impact. And vice versa. When your NCS wires are at their worst, when you're on a spring regional with them and they sneak off into a forest, I'm not saying anything specific. I'm just... I'm not saying... I'm not saying that Rabbi Nathan Oliver Shalom didn't one time find his way into the forest at a spring regional and find a chevra of guys and other people that were hanging out in the forest and treat us with kindness and compassion in 1997. I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying that if it did, and I remember Rabbi Nathan's kindness back then, you can be sure that your positive words will go a long way also. So I want to bless everybody here that we should have the capacity to stay conscious, stay focused. And Be'ez Hashem to do our best to lift up the NCS wires that we have and to share with them who they truly are. Okay, I understand there's questions now. Thank you. Okay, so there were a few questions that were pre-submitted. Sorry, I wanted to give my seat. I'm going to switch a little closer. Um, there were a few questions that were pre-submitted and then We'd love to open it up, so if anyone has questions, we'll save the last portion of our time together for those. So one of the questions that was submitted um, surrounded this topic that you touched on of forming these relationships, you know, forming these connections. And someone asked, you know, that they, that they meet teens, um, they connect with them, and then they sometimes feel like they have a difficulty bringing that relationship to the next level. You know, how do you go from being really warm and excited to see someone maybe on a Shabbaton to actually forming a real and meaningful relationship on that. And they were wondering if, if the, the Rebbe wouldn't mind speaking on what it takes to really form those types of relationships. I, I guess it depends on what you mean when you say meaningful relationship. In other words, I, I think it's important for us just to like set, set the goals. There's nothing wrong with having a goal of I'm excited to see you when I'm on a Shabbaton. That's okay. Not every single person needs to become like this blow up, incredible relationship that's gonna change their lives. There are some people that they're there to accompany us on their journey. And there are people that we meet on the Shabbaton and we're legitimately excited to see them and that's okay. The second thing is, I'm a little curious whose agenda this is. Is it the NCS Wire's agenda or is it your agenda? Meaning, what's the need here? Our job is to create space for people and then for people to choose how they're going to use that space. Not to determine what that space is going to look like. So if you have an NCS wire and she shows up to a, an event and you're excited to see her and you let her know that you're excited to see her and she's excited to see you and she, there's a safe space there for her to be who she is and she decides not to use that space, that's okay. It's not your job to, to come in and be like, no, I have to change this girl's life. It's Chazal. Arna Cohen was Oves Abrios, He loved them. Full stop. And then Memela, because he loved them, because he created that space, so they utilized, they utilized Arna Cohen to come close to him. And in Memela, they became close to Torah. Our job is not to come and say, I'm going to make you Shomer Shabbos. That is borderline abusive. And a person has to be very, very careful. First of all, we're not going to take responsibility for the choices that these NCS wires make. That's their choice to own. We have beliefs and there's nothing wrong with us sharing our beliefs with them. But this notion that exists today of like, I'm gonna make someone from, I get very nervous when I hear those words. Those are not healthy words. Somebody shared with me, 
I don't want to say which organization it is, but the organization has a, um, a certain amount of money that goes to each, I guess, Makariv based on his numbers. Like how many people are keeping Shabbos now? How many people are keeping kosher now? So this person came to me to say, what do I think of now everybody, all the Makarvim in that area only want to go after the low-hanging fruit? Because I'm going to get more money if like these kids that are basically oimid to keep Shabbos, if I get them to keep Shabbos, I get the money. But the kids who are likely not to keep Shabbos, I'm disincentivized from reaching out to those people. I was like, that, that's a tragic system. That is a tragic system. That we turned loving a Jew into observance. How in the world did we get there? There has to be some businessman was behind that. Because there's no Rebbe that I could think of in my life that would have ever thought of something so ridiculous. Our job is to love Jews. So what does it mean, a meaningful relationship? A meaningful relationship means, remember, you're not their friends. They have friends. You're their NCSY advisor. A meaningful relationship is that they know when they see you that you are an opportunity to speak to, to share with. And, and when they do, by the way, just be quiet, right? Just allow them to do that. You don't have to tell them the answers because they're not asking you. I know it sounds like overtly they're asking you questions. They're not. They just want to talk. That's the space. That's our job, to create the space. And some will use it and some will not. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be that you're offering chavrusas to every single girl that you have. And then I get these phone calls like, Rebbe, I don't know what to do because I have my regular storm and I have my college and I'm dating and I, and I, and I, and I also have seven chavrusas and I'm waking up at 4.30 in the morning. It's, it's okay. There's our banishal. It's going to be fine. There's a plan for every one of us. You do what's your best to put yourself out there and to say, Hineni, that's it. That's our job. I think that's I think it's okay. Beautiful answer yeah. to a few questions. Um, one other question that came up um, in a few forms, so I'll try my best. If the person is here and they want to clarify, they even could, and then we'll open it up to whoever wants to ask a question. Um, uh, we wanted to ask how one goes about engaging in this type of work in a tsunua way, and specifically the question was um, in this work. There's obviously a lot of opportunity and um, situations where one is working in a co-ed environment, both with the, with the teens and with peers. And there are also situations where it could seem, um, you know, regardless of even personality, most advantageous to be really either loud or out there or in the front. And so how does one balance or does one even think that there's a tension between being Sunua and valuing that and really engaging to the fullest extent in the work that needs to be done. The Lubavitcher Rebbe said that if you look carefully, Dina is called the Yatsanit, right? She went out. And it appears at first glance that that's, called being, that's, that's a bad thing. And that's why that terrible Misa happened with her in Shechem. If you look carefully at Rashi, Rashi says, from here we see the phrase, like mother, like daughter. Because Leah was also a Yatsanit. If you go back and you look at that whole Misa with Leah, where she left, where she went out, so to speak, Rashi there praises Leah for going out. So it must be that Dina's going out was not a bad thing. And the Rebbe speaks about being internal versus being indoors. Baruch Hashem, we're sitting with a... How many women are here? A tremendous group. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> we're, we're sitting with a tremendous group of women that are yatsani in a very beautiful, healthy, and appropriate way. You're going out to change Klal Yisrael. That's a beautiful thing. And going out comes with certain obstacles. And you have chosen very beautifully to engage those obstacles in order to meet your brothers and sisters. Zemaisa with Rav Noach Weinberg, Zechot was the founding Rosh Shiva Vesha Torah. And Rav Noach was running summer programs for these college-aged kids. And um, 
you know, he had a female madrichot, but he didn't have male yeshiva guys to be madrichim on the program. And so he met a group of yeshiva guys and he asked them if they would be interested in participating in the summer program. And they said, we have to speak to our Rosh Hashiva. And they came back and they said, our Rosh Hashiva says we can't do it because it's not sneas, because the girls coming from these colleges, or basically our age, will not be dressed in an appropriate fashion. But Rav Noyach detected that when they said it, they said it with like a hint of gaiva. So like a tiny little bit of arrogance. And Rav Noyach got very upset. It's one thing he said to come and say, our Rosh Hashiva said we can't do it. But to come with gaiva, I'm a yeshiva man, I can't do it. He said, if it was your sister on a train to Auschwitz, and you couldn't save her for halachic reasons, you'd be coming and crying, I wish I could save her. So that's the way you guys should have come back to me. You should have come back to me and said, I wish, I wish I could save her, but I can't for halachic reasons. You are people who have said, I'm going to negotiate the challenges that come up with being an NCSY advisor. Let's start with the easy one, which is not so easy. Not only because we're role models, and obviously it's our job to be appropriate, but also because a person has to have healthy and normal boundaries with their NCS wires. I cannot encourage you enough to really be very careful when it comes to skirting the balance of being somebody who's open and present and safe and warm and caring and a space for vulnerability and courage on the one hand without becoming their friends. Your NCS wires are not your friends. And if you cross over that boundary, you're hurting your NCS wires. You're there to be running the show. That's your responsibility. People are human beings. Be very careful. By the way, not just guys, girls also. Be very careful with those boundaries. When it comes to your peer advisors, we live in a world where there is a taruvus of men and women. It's not like it was many, many, many years ago. I'm, I'm not naive. The most well-intentioned young women who say, I'm absolutely going to only focus on my job, are very often the ones that call me and go, but, 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 but there's this guy, and he's great, right? And we're human beings, and we're in, and if you're single, and you're in NCSY, and you happen to notice, I just want you to know that you're normal, and, that's an, and, and pretending that you don't notice is not... It's not necessarily true. It's not, a, it's not a good idea. I mean, if you noticed, you noticed. And so very recently, someone came to me and said, so we'd been noticing each other for a couple of years without noticing each other, but now I think we're ready to notice each other officially. So I said, okay. L'chaim. You know, like, yeah. Like in anything in life, you want to be professional. If you're going to work in an office and there's going to be men in that office, you should be appropriate. You should be boundaried. You should be professional. It doesn't mean that you can't be friendly. It doesn't mean that you can't be nice. We have to be very careful when it comes to these things. And there are stories and a person has to be very, very careful in these areas. So I would encourage you that when it comes to your peer NCSY male advisors, you're there for a tachlis. You're there for a reason. You're there to hopefully create an impact, to create a space where growth could occur. And if you keep your eye on the prize, then this person who's sitting next to you is a partner in that project. That's what it is. Aye, but you'll say, but Lamaisa, we have to WhatsApp each other. Because Lamaisa, we have to create this program that we're working on together, and he's working with the guys, and I'm working with the girls. And so Lamaisa, I feel uncomfortable because I don't necessarily WhatsApp with guys, and here I am WhatsApping with this guy, and especially if he's someone who I might happen to notice. Do your best to keep it appropriate and professional.
understanding that in these situations there's an avira that can be confusing. And if it's coming up for you that it is confusing, I just want you to know that's okay. And it's a good idea that if these things are coming up to talk to somebody and just say, if you could help me negotiate this a little bit more. Sometimes in certain cases, we've had situations in NCSY where there have been very open conversations between the guys and the girls about expectations and appropriate boundaries. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but of course I'm hesitant to give any global advice because every situation is different. But especially if you're working in Central East and it's not, you know, like, uh, I, I just take Central East as an example. I didn't mean to call anyone. <laughs> I'm saying I have, the, the person who reached out to me happened to have been from Central East and it was a close, how many people are in Columbus already? So it's like a, uh, a little bit of a close-knit group. It could be uncomfortable, I understand. But, what you're doing is you're creating an unbelievable opportunity for growth to occur. So you've made the decision to do it. Do your best to do it appropriately. Okay, thank you so much. Does anyone want to raise their hand and ask a question? Sure. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Is it hard to work with the religious kids? I haven't had so much experience, but I was just thinking about like what kind of things that I could be doing, and other than like learning safer, it's just like hanging out. So like I don't know what. Right. My experience in the summer, because I have because I'm I work for NCSY, so in the summer, I'm. I'm on NCSY Kolo at nights, but then I get to spend Shabbos with like TJJ and speak to the various you know, kids that are coming from public school. And I'll tell you the difference between the yeshiva day school kids and the public school kids. At the end of a shir, in NCSY Kolo or any of the yeshiva programs, the kids go, great shir, Rabbi. And the public school kids go, thank you so much. And the difference is, that the yeshiva day school kids are evaluating you, and they're letting you know you did okay. <laughs> but the public school kids are grateful. And so the contrast for me in the summer, every summer when the NCSYers leave, I always think to myself like, why am I working in the yeshiva? I should just be working with public school kids. Not because I need their gratitude, but because it's just so nice. You know, it's like... <laughs> the MS is that NCSY can be an amazing opportunity for kids who are in yeshiva day school programs because even though the system has gotten a lot better, for many of our NCSYers, they're not necessarily connecting in their schools. And so, I'm not saying they should be separate programs, but there's no doubt that just because a kid was born on top of the mountain in our community doesn't necessarily mean they're getting what they need. And so I, I think very often we have a, at least for me, we have a natural desire to reach out to that public school kid because it's like they're starving for it, you know? But I want you to know the religious kid who shows up to NCSY is also starving for it. And it's easy to forget that because they have, whatever the word background means, they have a background. And so we think like, yeah, I have to learn something with them. Honestly, the best thing we could do for these yeshiva day school kids is treat them like public school kids. If we would, they would, they would like flourish under that because they have so much of the background of coming from our community, but they don't always get the same attention. I remember that Rabbi Nathan told me a story once that uh, he was talking to a high school principal who was complaining that he couldn't get this group of kids to daven. And Rabbi Nathan was astounded because whenever they came on NCSY Shabbatonim, they were davening. And he said the difference was that one was like a school davening and like show up and mumble the words and do, and the other was an environment where the kids wanted to be there and it was an environment that was encouraging growth and it was an environment that was encouraging singing. And there was something very beautiful about the public school kid linked arms with the yeshiva day school kid. And frankly, they both needed very similar types of chinuch. So maybe a paradigm shift here would help. Just remember that I know you think... you. I know his parents, they're a good from family. I know, and they're wonderful. But also that kid needs a lot of attention too. Otherwise, they wouldn't come on an NCSY Shabbaton. If they're coming on an NCSY Shabbaton, they're asking. That's their way of reaching out and saying, 
I need, I'm looking for something. Okay. So, um, knowing how And, and if I could continue your question just a little bit, the trap of the NCSY advisor who's so passionate because she wants to get her NCSYer to go to seminary that they make it almost as if if you don't go to seminary, so now you're a failure, and then they go to college with a feeling of like, I'm a failure, like I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So first of all, I think it's, I think it's appropriate and I think it's okay for you to have agendas for your NCS wires as long as you're transparent about them. There's nothing wrong with saying, I am in this case a representative of Hashem, I'm a shliach of Hashem, I'm here to give you your Yerusha, your inheritance, and this is Torah. There's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with coming and saying, this is what we're about. And there's nothing wrong with sharing with your NCS wires that you went to seminary and that you had an amazing experience in seminary and that you, you might use words, though I would be careful with these words, you might use words like life-changing and you don't even know what you'd be missing out on and, and it's okay for you to be passionate about it because that is a way that we give over how much we love something and there's nothing wrong with that. And you're not going to take responsibility for what happens when it doesn't go as you planned. Meaning, when that NCSY advisor, when that NCSYer goes home and she says, my NCSYer told me, my NCSY advisor told me that seminary is going to change my life. And mom and dad, I'm now fighting the seminary battle. You don't know what's going to happen. And you're not taking responsibility for that. Many years ago in yeshiva, we had a boy who came from a conservadox family. That's how he described it. And... His entire life, his mother had worked very, very, very hard for him to be able to go to an excellent college. And he got into one of the top 15 colleges in America. It doesn't matter which one. But it's a college that doesn't have a minion on Yom Kippur. And he came to Mivasera, and he was steiging beautifully, and he was in the base medrash, Yom Velayla, and he was davening, and it was like a beautiful thing to see. And he came to the Rosh Hashiva and myself about halfway through the year and he said, I'm thinking about you know, leaving this college and going to YU. Rebbe, you don't understand what this is going to do to my mother. I don't want to say anything. You know, it's, I don't know what's going to be. But on the other hand, he's not, it's not like he's going to like Penn, where there's a base medrash, where there's something going on. His mom is going to a midbar. So Rosh Hashiva asked Rav Asher Weiss, Shlita. And Ravasher said, you have every right to tell this young man that the choice that he's making, this is the impact on his Jewish life. But you can't tell him what to do because you're not going to take responsibility for the relationship with him and his mother. And so we sat down for many hours, many, many hours. And I said to him, you need to know that you have permission to make the choice that you feel you need to make. And in the end, he chose not to go to Wayu. And he has, Bar Hashem, a wonderful relationship with his mother. And he didn't learn nearly as much as much. Had he gone to Wayu, he would have learned much more. But you know what? He's fine. He's good. And he owned that choice, and I respect him for it. I think probably most of you grew up in the Orthodox community. So I just want to share with you, as somebody who has two Bali Tshuva parents, it's not always obvious that parents are going to be supportive of their kids' journeys. And so when a kid comes home and says, like, I want to go to Israel for the year, you have to know what that might sound like to a parent who didn't grow up in our community. First of all, they might think they're sending their kid to a war zone, especially if they watch CNN. Do you remember when you were in seminary and like you got those phone calls from your mother like, oh my God, what's going on over there? And you're like, nothing. <laughs> remember that? But these parents don't know that. And you're not going to take responsibility if chas v'shalom something does go wrong. So that has to be something that the family owns together. So you can be supportive, you can advance the idea, you could share the facts, you could say this is what it's like, these are the opportunities. But no matter what, I'm going to be with you 
on whatever decision you make and I'm going to support you on whatever decision you make. And to put an undue amount of pressure on a 17-year-old, 17 is very little. You know, if you're like 20 or 21, so 17 doesn't seem so little, right? I'm in my 40s now. 17 is a child. 17 is barely out of diapers. You have the capacity, if you're not careful, you could be manipulating these kids. Make sure you're not doing that. So it's advancing the idea, talk about your experience, share the opportunity. Another piece that I think is just so critical is don't tell your NCSYers where to go to seminary. Just because you had one experience doesn't mean that they'll have the same experience. And also, just because you heard a certain thing about a seminary doesn't mean that you know that seminary. It's like working in a yeshiva, I can tell you that the... Uh, you know how like every seminary in yeshiva has the one line that you say about them? Oh, this yeshiva is like great ball. This yeshiva is great campus. This yeshiva is this location, right? This yeshiva is this... When you work in a yeshiva, then you know that the complexity of the system is much greater than the one line that the community throws out about the yeshiva. And the same thing is true with the seminaries. There's systems involved. And there are, there are missions that NCSY sends every year for people in positions of influence to come and check out the yeshivas and seminaries and meet with the heads of the yeshivas and seminaries so that they can know how best to be madrich those NCSYers that will go. And it's not obvious that just because one girl went and she, this is the way, it's a very sophisticated system we have. Oh, well, this girl went there and she did well, so now you should go there too. That's not, that's not okay. That's not, that's not a sophisticated way of being madrich somebody. So you might have a chush, it's okay, but I would encourage you also to check with those people that really know the yeshivas and seminaries from the inside, not just as tamidot, but really understand what's going on before you give any, like, suggestions. Be very careful. Your words have a lot of power. Yeah? Um, so a big Sustainable is a big word. Sustainable growth for everybody, for, for me, for you, for everybody in this room. It's not obvious, it's not simple. I think, again, let's manage expectations. There's a difference between inspiration and excitement. People say inspiration never lasts, it's not true. Inspiration lasts a lifetime. What doesn't last is excitement. And what our Shabbatonim are designed to do is create excitement. And that's, that means that by definition it's going to fade. And that's okay, because we know that the excitement creates a rishima, creates an impact. And so they'll always remember that Shabbaton, they'll always remember that Havdalah, they'll always remember that tefillah, or that conversation. That's, that rishima will stay with them, though they, that will not be sustainable growth. The only way to create true inspiration is through ideas. At the end of the day, a person needs to know that what they're doing is real, and it's valuable, and it's infinite, and it's important. Right? Ultimately, the balance of NCSY is living at the intersection of education right, and experience. And that's, that's a really hard thing to do. And the schools lean into the education of it. Right? NCSY leads into the experience of it. And so what we can do to create some measure of sustainable growth is we could say, great, you had an awesome Shabbaton, now let's learn something. Right? Let's, let's actually engage in something that's going to like, I, I hesitate to use the word change, but at the very least, impact the way you see the world. Because once you see the world a little bit differently, so then you can't unsee it. It's like, uh, I remember the first time that I heard a shear that Hashem doesn't exist. Because up until then, in my entire life, I've been like, I have to prove that Hashem exists, right? And so I was like, trying to figure out, like I was a young man, I was trying to figure out like all the proofs. I was reading all the Lawrence Kellerman books, you know, doing that whole, like, you know, that whole dive. And then finally, one Rebbe gave this shear, and he goes, Hashem doesn't exist, because existence means measurable. And you can't prove something that's beyond measure. So stop using the word proof. 
And it was like, okay, that changes the way I saw the world. And that sheer I heard, I don't know, 20 plus years ago, but I can't unsee it. And now it's like everything in my life goes through the lens of that one sheer. You can't measure love, you can't measure music, you can't measure art, you can't measure poetry. The things that are infinite in life, the things that give context to life, are the things that you can't measure. They're only things that you can experience with the soul. And when a kid learns that and they go, oh, that changes the way they see the world. So we have to live at that intersection. You can't just have the learning, because we see that that fails, right? But you can't just have the experience either. So that would be, I think, at least one step towards creating sustainable growth. The other thing I would say to you is play the long game, right? This is not about like getting your NCSYers to make one decision. It's not what it's about. It's about allowing them to go through a process where it's okay for them to be down. And everybody in this room, I imagine, or maybe I'm the only one, but I imagine everybody in this room has gone through downs in their Judaism. Times when we were less than passionate and perhaps our observance of Judaism wasn't what it should be. If your NCSYR is going through that, that's okay. That's a normal human part of growth. And so if you have this expectation that they're constantly going to be going up, that's, that's not fair to them. It's not, it's not a reasonable ask. The most exciting part of the plane ride is when it's climbing to 30,000 feet. But it's not actually where you cover ground. You cover ground when the plane plateaus and then it just goes. That's when you actually pick up speed. So it's very exciting sometimes when you see these 15, 16, 17 year old NCSYers making these big moves, especially in NCSY summer. It's very exciting. But it's when it plateaus and it goes through those you know, air pockets, that's when the growth actually happens. So make sure you're managing your own expectations there also. It's okay for them to be human. And you don't have to get nervous just because they stopped doing something that they were doing. It's okay. Maybe it wasn't working for them. Maybe they need to figure out how to do it differently or better in a way that's going to be long-term sustainable for them. And just because that's the way it worked for you doesn't mean that that's going to be their journey. Okay? I think if anyone has one last question, we could squeeze in. Sure. Um, this isn't directly advisor-related, but I think just relevant, and I hope it's okay that I'm asking. You want to talk about Shadur? <laughs> no, but we could. Um, <laughs> um, you speak a lot in general about the, the power of intuition and learning to trust your intuition. How do you know when to not trust your intuition? Yeah. This doesn't have to be a short question. I take it back. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to be clear what I mean when I say I mean, because you're quoting from something else. Yeah. Right. So just the context probably <laughs> okay, matters. Yeah, right? um, many things we do in our life, we do intuitively. And until we do them in intuitively, they're, it's not always natural. It's like, do you remember when you first started learning to drive? I remember when I was 16 years old and I got my license. And it was the first time that I had driven home without thinking about it. And I arrived in the driveway and I was like, Oh wow, I wasn't constantly like <laughs> not doing that move, right? You learned, we drive intuitively, right? Um, we date, hopefully with a strong sense of intuition. Just because something makes sense on paper doesn't mean that's the person you marry, right? You, there has to be an intuition that like this feels right. And I think the point that you're highlighting is that we are human beings, we all have egos, and we all have biases, and it's okay that we have biases. We're not expected to be perfect. But we have to check our biases because our biases can impact our intuition. And so bringing it back, let's say, to NCSY, well, actually, before we go there, you know, a, a therapist in an office is being paid to be a blank slate and to not have bias. But that's not possible because they're a human being. So great therapists are in, they're in some form of therapy themselves to constantly be checking what's coming up for them as they're sitting with their client because that transference that occurs in the meeting is very real. And for those of you that shook your head, I just want you to know 
Hatzlacha Rabba in Wurzweiler or whatever program you're in, right? But you all just betrayed yourself, yeah? For those of you that didn't, Hatzlacha being a speech therapist. The, uh, <laughs> The, <laughs> the, um, it's okay to have bias, but if you're speaking to an NCSYer, you have to know that bias. So stuff comes up for us. And I hear, and it's not anybody's fault, it's just because we're, we're young and we're human, but I hear sometimes young men and young women who are NCSY advisors going, I know exactly what you mean. The same thing happened to me. No, it didn't. The same thing did not happen to you because you're a different person who came from a different place. And you're like, no, 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 literally it was the same thing. I was also, it's not the same. It's never the same. So I know that you have a strong sense of intuition on this, but check your bias. Because your bias might have been, for you, it created a good intuition, but if this person is saying to you, like, hey, my intuition is telling me something different, that's okay. Having said all of that, it's okay for you to have a hypothesis, right? And so let's say, for example, your NCSYer is saying to you, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to Israel for the year. I'm not even going to talk about it. And your hypothesis is it's because of her mother, right? Well, that's fine. That's your intuition. But um, you don't know that that's true. Right? You have to remember there's facts and then there's narrative. The fact is that that girl told you, don't talk to me about the year in Israel. Your narrative around that is because of her mother. Your intuition might be correct. It's a hypothesis. But stay curious and stay open because very often the story is much more complex than you're at first necessarily willing to realize. Yeah. I'll tell you just from your question alone, I'm confident you're going to do a great job. No, I'll tell you why. Because the fact that you know that, the fact that you know that language can shut a person down and that you have to be careful so that they like, can have that space, that already tells me that you're somebody who when you approach your NCSYer, your goal is to create space for them. That's amazing. I would tell you stay out of advice stay open, stay curious, and ask questions because you authentically don't know them. Ask questions that pave the road for them. Questions like, what's that like for you? Right? That's a great question. Right? What's, what's coming up for you right now? What's, it seems like something is bothering you. Is that correct? Right? And it's, don't say, I see you're really bothered by this. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Right? Say, I'm, I'm a, I'm, it seems to me that you're bothered. Is that true? And then they'll either go, no, actually, I'm fine, right? And then you might have that hypothesis that go, they're not fine, right? Or maybe they are, and that's okay. Or maybe they don't want to tell you, and that's okay, right? So I think when people feel like they're not welcome to be themselves is when people shut down. So the key word here, and it's not a word that we've used today, but we should. The key word that we have to use with our NCSYers is not, it's not connection, and it's not relationship. The key word that we need to use is belonging, right? Because that's what they really want. That's what every one of us wants. Our NCSYers are craving desperately for a deep sense of belonging. Will you accept me as I truly am, right? And if the answer to that is yes, and hopefully it is, because like we started off saying from the Chidush Arim, that notion of, being, of, of seeing you for your most positive aspects, not defining you by your lowest parts, right? Not having an agenda for what you should become. That creates a space where someone could go, I could tell you anything, because I know that it'll be okay. And how many of us live in the dark? I'm not talking about our NCSYers now. How many of us are unwilling to tell even our closest people in our lives who we really are and the things that we struggle with? And the reason that we don't is because of our own inner critic. We don't even belong to ourselves. How could we belong to somebody else? But I will tell you one thing. These kids today, it is their superpower. They crave belonging and they are more vulnerable and courageous than any generation I've seen in a very long time. These kids are incredible. All you have to do, by the way, is just like, you don't even have to ask. You just have to like sit and listen and they will tell you anything. And, they, and like, really, it's incredible. I ne 
In the 90s, at 16 years old, if you would have asked me about my problems, what do you mean? I'm perfect. I never in a million years would have told any of my NCSY advisors the things that these kids will tell you. And that is incredible. It means that Baruch Hashem were being matzliach. So yeah, the, the language that you want to really be focused on is like just asking questions about like what they want. And if they say they don't know, don't say, well, I think you should do this. It's okay for them not to know. But they have to build the muscles within themselves to learn how to make decisions. If you say, do this, you're cutting off their legs. Don't do that. Let them have their space to learn how to fall, to learn how to not succeed, and then they'll figure out what to do. No, it's okay. How do we guide them in building skill of Yeah, so I think that's where intuition comes in. I think they already have them. Right? They're, again, there's a difference between information deficit and which, like if somebody comes to me and they say like, uh, Rebbe, how do I take the bus from, from yeshiva to the Tachanah Merkazi? I'm not going to look at them and go, that's such an interesting question. <laughs> how do you take the bus? <laughs> right? Like, no, literally. Like, which bus do I get on? Which bus do you <laughs> Right? That's not, a, that's not helpful. Right? The answer to that question is the 154, 155, it's down the block. Right? Comes every 15 minutes. Right? Put, move it on your phone. It's, it's, um, that's a helpful answer. Right? But, if an NCSYer comes and says something like, and I got this this summer, um, I'm struggling because my parents are divorced. My mother, who was more tolerant of my being observant, moved away. I'm living with my dad now. He will literally not allow me to keep Shabbos. What do I do? I do not know the answer to that question, and neither do you. Right? I know that Hashem wants her to keep Shabbos. But it's, it's her choice. Right? She's got to figure out what to do. So ask curious questions. You know, so how is your relationship with your dad, right? And she said, actually, it's awesome, right? Which I wasn't expecting, because my hypothesis was that she was really frustrated with her dad. And she's really not. She understands where he's coming from. She's like, but it's really important to me. So I said, so what do you do in situations like this? What have you done in the past? What's worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? And, you know, and then she said, well, you know, he's good about letting me go away, but not all the time, right? So it's, it's sort of allowing her to make the decision, but walking through with curious questions, you know, what can she can do? That's sort of how you build the muscle. You do it more naturally when you're older, but when you're younger, for sure you need help like that. Okay, maybe we'll stop here for now, yeah? Okay, yes, I was gonna say thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. And thank you to everyone so much for coming. Um, I know the food got delivered midway. I hope nobody was too hungry. So everyone, please do feel free to join for some sushi in the back. Um, and really, thank you again so much for the time. And hopefully, if you can linger around for a few minutes, maybe maybe anyone who has an additional follow-up question can come and have the opportunity to ask. Oh, and please take swag. It, was, it didn't happen if we don't get a shirt, so please do. Right, thank you.